Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast, and this week we have my friend Erica Lehman of Sweet Alice Photography joining us. Not only do we talk about how she grew her incredible photography business in the Hudson Valley of New York, we also talk about how to maintain a business while still working your day job, because some people, like Erica, want to keep their day job. It's not all about quitting. We also talk about mentorship, confidence, setting your prices, so guys, I am confident you're going to love this one. So let's get to it. Hey, Erica. Hi, Kelsey. How are you? I'm so excited to have you on today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. I would love for you to start by introducing yourself and telling the Radiant listeners your story, who you are, whether you're Erica or Alice, and the story behind your name. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's a good question. I get that a lot. Um, So my name is Erica Lehman. I am a wedding photographer and a um, photographer business mentor. And I'm starting to pivot a little bit into creative business mentoring in the Hudson Valley. And my business is called Sweet Alice Photography. And that's actually named after my cat. (laughs) (laughs) So I get that a lot where people call me Alice and I'll just roll with it. It's totally fine. doesn't bother me. Um, So sometimes I'm Erica, sometimes I'm Alice. That's fine. It really is totally fine. (laughs) Um, And I have been a photographer for about 11 years now. So I started working in the photography realm when I was in college and I took one elective I was in college to get a BA in music and business, so nothing to do with photography. But one of my friends had a camera and she loved using it. And I loved the real timeness of it where you could do something and then it was created. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's right there. Like, this is amazing. And so her interest in it kind of spurred my own interest in it. So I took this elective in photojournalism and I was loving everything about it except for the technical aspect and I'll tell people that all the time I can take your photos and I can pose you and I can make you feel good in front of the camera but I can't tell you the back end of it at all (laughs) which sounds so crazy but it's it's true (laughs) so I took that class and then after that I started doing my friend's senior portraits and I would do them for I would tell them why don't you buy me a cup of coffee from Starbucks because that was like queen to me Wow, that's a good deal. Right? You have to think, I was like taking these photos, editing them, spending all this time with these people, and they were realistically paying me $5. (laughs) So um, after that, after I graduated, I started my business, and I started um, photographing weddings here and there, and I was in the Boston area. And during that time, I was also working for my alma mater, and I was working at Starbucks, and I was doing my graduate degree. So I did a graduate degree in um, music. Um, actually, no, 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 that was my bachelor's, just kidding. Not in music, um, it, it's an MBA. 
So, so a, ma- a master's in business. Yeah. A master's in business. Yeah. 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 So, um, I did that. I did that online. It took me about a year and a half. And in the middle of that, my mom passed away. So I had to take some time off for that as well. And so that taught me that you can really keep going, you know, so you don't have to stop. You can take a break and then you can keep going. And so after I got my MBA, I uh, moved. (laughs) I left. I left Massachusetts. I went to New York. Um, At the time, my husband, who was my boyfriend then, um, lived in New York. And I figured, you know, I'd spent enough time in Massachusetts. I had grown up there. I had spent time there. And so I picked up and I got a job in New York. And I moved there. And I started my business basically all over again. And I remember, yeah, I remember when I moved after being in the Hudson Valley of New York for a few years, I really questioned whether or not I should keep a photography business going or if I really wanted to keep a photography business going. And I just felt very unsure of it, but I figured, you know, why don't I keep trying? Um, And that was kind of another one of those little breaks. Like you can take a little break, but you get to keep going. And after that, I, spent some time building up clientele. The clientele in the Hudson Valley, I, I really feel like they're my people. I really love them. They, they love their outdoor weddings. They love being around their families. They love um, feeling supported and connected to their vendors. And I just love that about them. And then after that, after a couple of years of, you know, working with wonderful people, I, I knew there was something more. I knew I needed to do more. And I actually had a situation where I had my first and only unhappy bride. And it was such a transformative experience for me. So I cried for like ever about it. But I bet <laughs> we'll have to talk about this. Yes. But it taught me so much. And so now looking back at that four or five years later, I know that if I hadn't had that experience, then I could not be as successful as I am today. So after that, I- girl. Yes. We're gonna come back. (laughs) Okay. I invested in like better gear, better education. I got uh, better software. I got better everything because I said to myself, I can't let this happen again, not only for me, but for my potential clients. And so then after that, it really did explode. And I um, invested in all of those things that I mentioned. And after that, I it became something where I actually had to scale back the number of weddings that I took every year because I was taking on so many. And I also work full time in addition to running my business. So that's basically everything soup to nuts in a nutshell-ish. <laughs> okay, so we'll get back because I want to hear more about the situation that you feel like was probably so painful at the time, but yeah. has shaped your business for to what it is today and probably how you show up for customers, how you serve them, all the all the moving parts there. But one thing that we briefly covered that I want to go into a little bit more is like you are still in education. You do this by day. You run Sweet Alice on the weekends. So are you working seven days a week? Do you have a team? How did that grow and evolve? And I know when we got to hang out earlier this year, we were talking about it. And I, my question was, oh, do you want to work your way out? of education and just do your photography business. And you're like, no, not my goal. And so that's right. Right. 
Yeah, that's right. I actually really love higher education. So when I was in college, I was an RA. I was really involved in a lot of different extracurriculars on campus, and I really loved it. I loved, loved, loved it. And I love higher education for what it provides and the opportunities that it gives to people in multiple different ways, not just on the educational level, but on the social level, on the professional level. You, when you go to college, you have access to so many different and varied experiences that you get to experience, but also that you get to watch your friends experience. You you just, it's like eye-opening. So I have always really loved higher education. I wanted to stay in higher education because I love structure. And so I love going to a nine to five every day and then working on my business at night and on the weekends. And so I do work a lot at night. I do work a lot on the weekends. I have or outsourced a few things. So there are certain things in my business that I can outsource, but I don't necessarily have a team. It's it's usually just me for the most part. And the things that I outsource are like my web design, my album design I've outsourced in the past. So there are things that I can outsource and that I feel comfortable outsourcing that make my life easier. Man. Okay. So are you working, you know, five to 10 every week? Now, how do you set boundaries with that? And then I also do want to circle back to what was the decision of kind of all of the messaging and the information out there is make your side hustle your full-time thing. Have you had to push back against that feeling of like, oh, maybe this is what I should be doing. Should I have a goal to make my, and, and your your secondary business is not just a side hustle. It's not something you kind of have as a hobby. It's a full-blown business. So has there been any tension internally of you wrestling with, maybe I should make this a full-time thing? What do I want? Yes, yes. So that's something that I really wrestled with, especially when I moved to New York. So a couple years into being more established after getting married, I said to myself, is this something that I want to make full time? And I came to the realization that it really was a lot of messaging that I was receiving. Like you mentioned, that we are told all the time that having the ability to be an entrepreneur and the ability to turn your business into a full time thing is so glamorous. It feels so fancy. (laughs) Yeah. And it, but I had to realize it really wasn't what I wanted. It was something that I liked it and I enjoy it, but I actually find that having another source of income actually allows me to have more freedom in my business. Mm-hmm. And so because I'm not feeling like I need to take on every single client, every single wedding, then I know that for the weddings that I do choose to, cha- to take on and the clients that I do choose to serve, I'm serving them well, and I'm taking care of them well, because you have to think at the end of the day, if you are not happy and you're not feeling like you can support somebody realistically for whatever reason, maybe they're wonderful people, but they're just not your people. You're not going to be able to show up well for yourself, but you're really not going to be able to show up well for them. And then nobody's happy in the end. Ooh, that is so true. You can preach girl. (laughs) Well, I love what you said there about the messaging you're receiving, because I think with any businesses we start, that's become, you know, something that's been put on a pedestal these days. Um, And something, you know, that's what I teach on as building businesses. I love that. But just because it's someone else's goal to make it your main thing, your full-time thing and not a part-time thing, you know, 
doesn't mean it has to be yours. And I, I think that's become a big passion for me here at the Radiant Podcast is talking to people who have done it a little bit differently. And so I love your story of saying, no, I actually have two very developed, very deep passions. One is higher education, and I do that nine to five by day, and it brings me joy. And the other is running a photography business, and I do that by night and weekend, and it brings me joy. Yes. <laughs> and I think there's something to be said that we're we're built to be multifaceted. We're built to be multi-passionate, and we're doing ourselves and the world a disservice if we don't allow ourselves to explore all the facets of our personalities and our talents and our gifts. Man, you again, you can preach, sister, because that is so true. And I, I found that in my own journey, and this is even something we talked about before this, but sometimes when you when you follow one very specific, very carved out path for a period of time, and then you realize, oh, I have a secondary passion. I want to develop that. We can almost feel wrong for exploring a second thing or going or pivoting or making a change or making room for something else because it's like, well, I just put all this time and effort. I mean, you went through six years of higher education, not just the, you know, the initial four, you continued on and got a master's degree and then decided I want this photography business. And I think, I think these are the moments that we can start to question ourselves of like, did I just waste time? And it's like, no, I'm just a human who's multifaceted with a few different passions. Right. That's right. What are they teaching you? So even though I have a BA in music, which is so random, like, what am I doing? I, I don't do anything. Oh, girl. I do literally nothing with it. And that's okay. My bachelor's is in Spanish and global studies. So oh, here yeah. we are. <laughs> So you understand, but I think that what I really loved when I was learning what I was learning in the music realm of things is I learned to love choral music and this, this will relate. <laughs> and here is why, because when you work in choral music and you work with a choir, you create the ability to explore teamwork and community. And I think community building is such a strong asset as a content creator and as a business. And I strongly believe that everything that I learned in these choral communities offered me the opportunity to learn how to create communities of my own and offer support to multiple people at the same time without feeling like I was disjointed. Does that make sense? That is such a good point because one thing I love to talk about is nothing you learn is ever wasted, even if you pivot into something totally different. And so I think that's a perfect example of that community you allowed to build that you were able to build and that you learned and gleaned from in the context of pursuing your music degree definitely serves you and serves what you do today all these years later. And so absolutely nothing is wasted. I would love to go back a little bit to, you know, when you started your photography business, you were charging essentially $5 per session. <laughs> I would love to circle back there for a moment and talk about, you know, what's it like for that person getting started, really stressing about their prices. They don't know what they're worth. You know, for me, I'm always a fan of doing your work for free or for a low price to really develop it and hone it yeah, um, because there's really nothing to lose there right. except time. 
you know, that is a lot of your time, but I think any skill takes time anyways. I would love for you to kind of, to give us some insight into how you really built out that business and how you went from $5 lattes to what you're running today. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's funny because I think that pricing is such a pain point for so many people. And I think it happens a lot. And especially with women and Christian women, because we're taught to serve. And often serving doesn't mean that it has a price point. And so I think that was a huge pain point for me. And I didn't even realize it for so long. But the first wedding I ever photographed, I was there unlimited hours. I gave them an album. I did an engagement session. I did all these things. I charged them $500, (laughs) which is just so minor, right? It's so small. But it was my first wedding. So like you said, I am also a huge fan of that. When all you have is time, it honestly does you good to offer these types of things for free or at a really low cost because you're building what you can build in this time that you have that you won't always have. You won't always have this time. So it took me a little while to bump my prices up. And I remember back in... I think 2014 or 2015, I bumped my prices up to $2,000. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much money. (laughs) But if you break it all down, the time that I was spending at the weddings, the consultations, the engagement sessions, the putting the timeline together type meetings, they were, and the editing afterwards, they were costing me a lot of money and the hourly rate kind of really broke down to not, not a lot. And so I think it's really important to know what you want to earn per hour and make sure you're calculating all the hours that you're actually working on these things. So it's not just showing up to the event or to the wedding day. It's everything before and everything after. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really is. And so I think that's hard um, for people to really grasp at first. But that's okay. At first, you don't need to. At first, you have the time. But after a while, after you've become more established, I think you have the opportunity to evaluate and really measure what you want and charge appropriately. And I think pricing and charging appropriately also conveys confidence in your own service. Yes. If you are charging, if you've been around, if you like in my example, in my example, I'm using me. If I was charging $500 now and saying that I'd been in the business for 11 years, somebody would say there's something wrong here. They would say either she's not confident in what she provides or she's going to screw me over. Yep. And it's so true. It's so true. And there was a time a few years ago where somebody had recommended me to somebody to, you know, a potential client and I had quoted them a really low price. And the potential client told a friend of mine, you know, we really like her. We really want to hire her, but we're very nervous with her price point because it's so low and her work is so good. And so they really thought I was going to scam them. Wow. That is fascinating. Isn't it? It's almost like reverse psychology. Yep. It really is. But that's what I think is really important to convey is that and to and to grasp is that your pricing portrays your confidence and your level of support. Oh, girl, I'm taking notes on that. So what would you say to someone as they are really looking to raise those prices? You know, someone I've listened to kind of recommends like try 25 percent, you know, every Six months was kind of her recommendation. But what was your process of really up-leveling your prices to reflect the quality that you're delivering? Because I know even for me, when I lock in 
the type of work I do a lot of the time is on a recurring basis with a client, it is extremely stressful for me to raise prices on them because I build a relationship with them. I love them. They're my clients I work with, you know, for a year or two at a time, like I always feel guilty, but I I know they've always respected me when I raise prices, but that's a personal struggle for me. And I think any type of person with a service-based business listening right now Mm -hmm. could benefit from this conversation. Yeah, totally. I honestly think that people determine their priorities. When you're considering raising your prices, I think it's important to look at the why. Are you looking to book more clients or less clients so you have more time? Are you looking to increase prices because you want to hit a certain type of client? Are you looking to, in, what are you, what's your why about why you're looking to increase your prices? So I think that's the first thing is what's the reason? A lot of the time, sometimes we'll just get like a gut nudge of, hey, it's time to raise your prices. If you're still being booked at your current rate and you're kind of like, your calendar is like super booked, then you should definitely be raising those prices because the the market is showing that there's a demand for you. And if there's demand, then there's the ability to increase your prices. If you're booked out, if you're me, if you're a wedding photographer and you're booked out every single weekend, you should be increasing your prices because you also need to have the time around yourself to be able to support people well, not only your clients, but also your family, your friends, life yep. is life if all you're doing is work. But I also think that when you increase your prices, you have to just increase it and release it. You're right. <laughs> it's true. You can't like spin on it. You can't be in it all the time worrying about what people are thinking because People will determine their own priorities. We can't control it. We can determine our own. Our own is increasing our prices to whatever price point we feel good at right now. But if somebody reads your stuff and they're like, oh my gosh, this person's too much money, then okay, oh my gosh, this person's too much money. Be done with it. Now they're not even going to waste your time with any sort of a meeting, any sort of a phone call because you're out of their price point. Pricing should be also be should also be seen to me, I think, as a barrier to people maybe taking up your time that really shouldn't be taking up time. You're listening to the Converge Podcast Network. And now a message from a network supporter. This podcast Save your most important documents and photos in the cloud. A Microsoft 365 subscription gives you a full terabyte of secure OneDrive storage, plus an added layer of protection with OneDrive Personal Vault. Buy now at Microsoft365.com slash photos. Podcast is sponsored by Denison Ministries. Denison Ministries is a movement creating 7 million culture-changing Christians who are committed to carrying out the truths of the gospel to their sphere of influence through a variety of ways, which is why Denison Ministries is excited about sponsoring what God is up to on the Radiant Podcast. One of the cool ways Denison Ministries helps Christians feel closer to God is through their first 15 devotional. First 15 is designed to help you spend the first 15 minutes of your day experiencing God through meaningful devotional, scripture, worship, and prayer. Grow closer to God this year. You can sign up to get the first 15 email devotional sent directly to your inbox at first15.org slash subscribe, or start your day off with the first 15 devotional podcast anywhere you listen. I typically lead even with 
discovery calls what my prices are. And I know people have different philosophies. Some people don't tell the price until the end of a call, Mm -hmm. you know, for whatever they do. Some people share on the front end or share on the back end and that's their personal choice. But for me, I'd rather them know. And then if they still want to get on a call with me, awesome. They they know up front what my prices are. That's right. And I believe in that too. I actually believe in your, in your model there, because I, (laughs) I think that I would be so frustrated myself if I got on a call with you and then afterwards you told me your price and it was completely out of my price range. And yeah, it's a waste of everyone's time. It's Exactly. It's a waste of everyone's time, not only yours, but the other person. And I remember as a bride back in 2013, when I was literally saving up money for my wedding by not going out for coffee I remember looking at photographers and not being able to find any price points on their sites, not even a starting. And it frustrated me so much. And I said to myself, I'm not even going to reach out to these people. It's not worth it. Yep. I'm with you. I like to know up front. And I know, again, I know different people have different philosophies, but that's, that's what works for me. Cause then you end up on a gazillion calls with people mm-hmm. as a consumer. I'm with you. I'd rather know up front. Yeah. Now, one thing that you mentioned is like really just valuing your time. And that, that's something that for me has always been an indicator of when it's time to raise my prices. It's like, oh, wow, I have 20 clients on my roster and I have no time left in the day. I can't even take a new client because I have so many clients right. that I literally have no time left and I'm so stretched then I'm, I'm frustrated all the time. It right. might be time for a, a price increase to reflect like building in that time around my day. And something that helps me with confidence around that, because I, again, I always get a little bit stressed to do that. And I'm a little more cautious as well. Like I like to run really lean. I like to keep that cash flow coming in is I test it. So it's like, okay, if I'm used to landing like two out of every five clients I talk to on the phone, then I'll test my new price point with like, you know, 15 people, that should have a ratio of six new people onboarded. And if I'm not onboarding people, if I get all no's, then it's like, okay, maybe I raised them too high. I'll test a different lower, maybe middle ground price in between, you know, like if you wait to raise your prices till you already have clients on your roster at your old rate, then, then it's safe to do so. Don't, don't be operating with zero clients. I don't think that was proper grammar, but I would avoid operating with, you know, zero clients and saying, I've got to increase my prices by 50% today, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You have to kind of measure it and analyze it a little bit. I, I agree with that 100%. Like look at the data of, okay, I've had 20 clients come on board at this rate. I'm going to increase it by this rate. We'll see. Like if I get the normal ratio of yeses, I usually do. And if so, I can keep moving forward with my new rate. What do you think with pricing, especially what if you feel like a nudge to increase your prices, but you don't book those two out of five? I would test, I mean, I would test, you know, not just five, I would test like 15. So essentially I should book six out of 15 and just keep seeing and then reevaluate, maybe sit down with a mentor and figure out like, is there some different layers of nurture? Maybe it's not the price. Maybe it's what I'm delivering with the price because sometimes people who are paying a higher price want a little more nurture, a little more handholding, or they want your systems to be a little more zipped up. Maybe that's the part that's not selling them. And so you know, it's not always the price that's holding them back. It's, it's what they get with the price is, is my thought. What do you think? 
I, I totally agree with that. I tell people all the time that I think, especially photographers, people already know what, what you do. They want to know who you are. And so if you're able to connect with them on that level, then they're going to hire you for you, no matter your price point. And then what you provide, the actual tangible thing afterwards is just a cherry on top. And I was asking that question because a few years ago, I increased my prices at the nudge of a coach and a mentor. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so scared. I increased them. And I remember from March of that year until July of that year, I got no bookings. But I said, yeah, I got none. (laughs) It was crazy. And I said to myself, but I feel like this is the right thing to do. And so literally every single day I would get in the shower and I would release it. I would get in the shower and I would say, you know, this business isn't my business. I'm in it to support and serve others. And I will do with it whatever God wants me to do with it. And so I just released it, released it, released it. And then I remember I went on vacation in July and I booked seven weddings on vacation. Oh my gosh. It was crazy. So I think there's also something to be said in definitely testing and measuring. I 100% agree with that. I have an MBA. I get it. (laughs) But I also think that if you're feeling a real big nudge or a real big feeling in your gut to stay fast with what you are wanting to implement, then I think there's a reason. What are some practical things someone can put in place before they follow through with that nudge? Because I know, you know, a few years into business, I might have a little cushion or I have some other, you know, clients that are paying me for a different kind of service. So I have some room to to kind of wait it out, to stay true to what I feel in my gut is the right thing. But what if you're like, buy cash in those six months, you know, like what, what do you say to that person? Who's like, I do feel on my gut to stick this out, but what are some practical things to empower them to do that? Yeah. So I think that cushion is number one. So I think that if you're feeling a, a gut nudge to be increasing your prices, make sure you have enough in your savings, in your checking account, in what, and you, that could cover you realistically for at least three months before you get these potential bookings. I also think that it's important to know that you can always shift back if you want to. So you could get on calls and, you know, say you're a wedding photographer and you really, really want to work with these people, not because of the paycheck that they're potentially giving to you, even though that's nice, but because they just seem like really great people. And they tell you, hey, this whatever price point is a little more than what we can realistically afford. You could say, okay, I... I, why don't I come down like $500? A lot of the time, if people see that, that you're willing to be flexible and meet them at a certain halfway point, then they will also make the effort to meet you at that halfway point. So I think that when you increase your prices, it's nice to know and tell yourself that if I want to, if I get on a call and I really mesh well with people, I have the ability to offer this element of service at a lower price point, it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars less. It can be a couple hundred dollars less. And I also, I also think like you and I, obviously we're both good friends with Kate Krakow. And she always says that open hands to give are open hands to receive. And that's true. So if you are 
open to giving, you're also going, you know, within the booking process, you're also going to be open to booking these actual people. And I think that when you increase your prices, it actually gives you more opportunity to serve others and be more generous when you're able to. Yeah, I think that is so true because it values your time to where your schedule's not so jam-packed. You're stretched thin, you're angry. You know, the moment I realized I was stretched too thin, I was flipping flipping a double bird out the window on the way to church. And I was like, Ooh, oh, I, I need a break because that was literally on the way to church. Like, yeah. okay, yeah. <laughs> time for some time off. Yeah. Um, and I've realized when I do start setting boundaries, essentially through my pricing, I all of a sudden have room in my schedule because I'm charging a rate that allows me to make room. You know, it keeps me from taking on a gazillion clients. I can show up for less better, but then I also have that room to be generous when I feel that nudge and to say like, Hey, I'd love to do this just to serve you. Or I'd love to meet you halfway with the prices. Like you just have more room for generosity. And that that's a core value of my business. So I love that you said that because I definitely, it feels counterintuitive, but it's very true. It's so true. It's, it's kind of one of those things. I tell people this all the time too. When you offer discounts and when you offer decreases in your prices, it has to be a win-win. And sometimes the win-win is just in your heart and that's okay. Yep. Oh man, that that is so good because that's very true in my experience at least. And I think that's going to be powerful for listeners because most of us want to be generous, but yeah. then we overdo it we no longer have capacity or room to do it at all. We become totally burnt out. And so kind of by setting these pricing boundaries, we're able to end up showing up better um, and for the long haul versus like fizzling out after six months of overdoing it. So I would love to switch gears a little bit and talk about your heart for mentorship, because that's obviously a very strong core value over here um, in the Radiant community. I am a big fan of mentorship. I feel like I've had these women allow me to stand on their shoulders and go further. So tell us how you mentor your community of photographers, what your heart is there and what you've got going on. Yeah. So last year, I created a mentorship program for newer photographers in business because I often see a lapse or a lot of questions from the photography community, from newer photographers regarding the legal and business aspect end of things. Because we can learn our cameras and we can take pictures, but sometimes it's really hard to grasp everything that actually goes into running a legitimate business. So I created a mentorship and mastermind community last year. I thought it up in November and I launched it in January. Wow. (laughs) Because I was like, you know, this is on my heart. This feels really good right now. And I want to create it. And so I did. And I had had, um, my first round of women had, there were six people in it. And then this year I have seven. And it's just been so wonderful. It's been so great to be able to communicate and offer what I've learned. Because when I started back in, I I don't even know, 2009, back in 2009, there weren't these types of communities out there for people. You couldn't really ask questions. And if you did ask questions, it was always kind of, you were given the side eye of, are you trying to take my clients? (laughs) 
So nobody, totally. yeah, nobody wanted to share what they knew. And I love sharing what I know. I love it. And so I created this and I have been really able to support these women. And it's been such a beautiful blessing in my life. So they feel supported, but I just feel so lit up by it. I just feel so good about it. And I feel like these are things that we're multifaceted, right? So here I can be working in higher education. I can be a photographer and I can be a mentor and a teacher. And I love that. I love being able to do all of these things. So that's what I do right now with photography and mentorship. Um, I don't teach people how to use their cameras, but I do teach people how to run a legal business and all and social media marketing and things of that nature. And now I'm starting to explore actually mentoring creative business owners. So maybe makeup artists, hairstylists, um, Etsy makers, people like that at this point in time, that's something that I'm exploring right now. Oh, I love that because I, I think that's, I mean, that all fits under the same umbrella. Yeah. And I, I think that's the beauty of a good mentor. Correct me if I'm wrong, but at least in my experience, I don't need my mentor to show me exactly what to do. Right. Like in your case, I don't need them to show me how to use my camera. I've probably already figured that out or I, I can go watch a YouTube tutorial or pay yeah. for a program or whatever. But I just want someone who's a few steps ahead of me to pass along what they've learned yeah. um, and how how to navigate a little hurdle I come up against. And maybe they've come up against it before. They say the best mentors are three steps ahead. Yes. Yes. I totally agree with that. I think you should always have somebody that you're looking up to. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, i wrote a book about mentorship. So I clearly love it. But I, you know, I I have found that my mentors aren't giving me a playbook of how to live life. They're just passing along what they might have learned in that area. And then if they haven't ever navigated that area, they just say, I don't know, (laughs) because I don't expect them to have all the answers. And so I'm a big fan of mentorship. Mm -hmm. And it being a role in which we can kind of reach forward to someone a few steps ahead of us and learn from them and reach behind us to someone a few steps back and right. show them everything we know. That's right. Man. So Erica, what do you have coming up? I would love for our listeners to be able to follow along with you and hear more of your story, keep up with what you're doing and see your beautiful work. So where can everyone find you? I am super active on Instagram. So if you guys want to see really cute pictures of my pets, on Instagram, <laughs> they're there. <laughs> um, and my handle is Sweet Alice Photography. So that's going to be the best place to find me on social media. I'm also on Facebook and Pinterest, but I prefer Instagram. And then my website is SweetAlicePhotography.com. Woohoo, Erica, it was so good to have you on today. I could keep going for hours and I'm excited to chat again soon. Oh, Kelsey, thank you so much. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.
Your crew has worked hard this year, so why not get them a gift to show your appreciation? Shop Lowe's for a DeWalt Power Detect two-tool combo kit for $349, Mechanics Wear Durahide Impact Gloves at only $29.98, or how about a Metabo HPT The Tank Compressor for $199? Shop Lowe's in-store or at Lowe'sForPros.com. And while you're at it, pick up a little something for yourself, too. Lowe's, the new home for pros. While supplies last, U.S. only. The final countdown has begun. Whatever you do, don't miss the end-of-year clearance this weekend at Levin's. Save up to 60% on close-out special buys and doorbusters. Plus, get an extra 15% off all sale merchandise and take up to 60 months to pay. Save 308 on our Wilmington Sofa Chase. Now 891 with extra discounts. Plus, get the 100th anniversary hybrid mattress. Now only 398 The final countdown. Now at Levin Furniture and Mattress.